Hi, everyone, and welcome to the January 5th, 2024 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest this week is here to talk all things retailing. He'll discuss the year that was for auto dealers in Canada and what's ahead in 2024. He'll also discuss the government's new zero emissions vehicle sales mandate and how it affects dealers. And we'll talk right to repair and more. All that when I speak with the head of the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association CEO, Tim Royce, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Tim, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Uh, we have a lot to discuss, but let's start here. Uh, we're only a couple days into the new year. How would you describe or characterize the year that just passed in auto retailing? How was it for you and your members? Um, 2023, I would say, was was the start of the return of, of normality or reality with uh, production coming back to uh, more normal uh, levels. Now, some brands uh, quicker than others. Um, and uh, a, a semblance of, of normality starting to come back into the market. Not, uh, again, at every single brand and at every single location, but a lot more normality starting to come back where you would have a lot of things that were skewing the market, if you will, from from lack of production, from um, uh, you know, there differences between the regions that were happening, uh, all of that uh, started to normalize again. And, and uh, inventories also starting to come back at, at uh, dealerships uh, to a level where they could actually offer a customer, uh, you know, a, a variety of products and not say, well, the only one we have left is this one in blue type of thing, right? So, <laughs> Um, so with that, I would say, you know, 2023 was was the start of the return to normality. We're not quite there yet, but, uh, you know, we're, we're getting there. It, does that generate a different feeling among dealers? More confidence, more relaxation, more relief? Was it stressful up to this point? I just wonder if sort of the feeling on a dealership floor or among dealers has changed. Is it better? Um, definitely, the the mood is 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 still quite good. Um, I would I would characterize as we go into this year, there, there's sort of cautious optimism uh, going into this year. Um, cautious on the side of okay, what are inventory levels going to be like? Are we going to go back to the uh, you know over inventory situation that we have pre pandemic? Um, do we have the right people uh, and enough people on board? Right? Do, do we have people that still remember how to sell a car, uh, and and uh, not only to to take an order and fulfill it? So that's sort of the cautious side of it. Um, also on the staffing side, obviously on on the service side, we're, we're still very short on technicians in in, in Canada. Uh, the optimism optimism side comes from a positive development in the market, uh, where consumer. Uh, 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 positive sentiment is still there. Demand is still there. Uh, we're not in a recession either yet or um, uh, might work our way out of it again. Uh, and also there's a optimism as to interest rates might actually start coming down again next year. We started to receive some signals, as you might have seen in the financial markets, that that might actually uh, come down in, in this year now, 2024. So that sort of goes in hand in hand with the with the cautious side of the inventory, right? Because not only are you worried about the 
the, the size of the inventory, but the cost of the inventory, which you know has gone up threefold um, since interest rates have, have gone up, right? When you don't have an inventory, that doesn't really matter. Now that you have inventory, all of a sudden the, 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 the costs that you're carrying for your inventory are substantially higher. Uh, so there's there's that sense of optimism of, of interest rates coming down. And then basically pretty much all brands coming back to a, a more normal uh, supply situation where, where it's not characterized so much by fits and starts and stops as it has been the last uh, couple of years. Again, a lot of that started to return already last year, you know, but we fully expect that to, to return back to a more normal situation this year. Is it fair to say that dealers haven't been this optimistic since the beginning, at, at the beginning of a year, since the start of 2019? Because 2020, the pandemic was already sort of starting to roll across the globe. And then obviously 21, 22, and 23 were their own animals. Has it really been since 2019, since we've sort of been this optimistic about the auto industry? Um Optimism, yes, in the in the sense of of where the the total market might come in, right? The total volume that they might sell, but again, there's 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 a cautiousness uh, involved with that as well. As in, okay, what type of inventory levels are we going to see that we uh, that I talked about before? Uh, what's going to happen on the pricing side? Um, how is the used car market going to develop? Uh, so those are things that you know, concern dealers as they look forward into the year, right? So yes, there's an optimism going into the year as to where it might end up, but there's a bit of skepticism as well uh, for some of the other factors. I remember when I first started this job, I think it was about 2017, maybe 2018, we sold 2 million vehicles in a year. And I remember someone saying, you know, we're shouting from the rooftops about that number. That's not normal. What is normal moving forward? Is it 1.7 million? Is it 1.9? Is 2 million out of reach? What What is the normal annual volume in Canada moving forward? Um, we we expect the market in 2024 to come in at roughly 1.75. Yeah. Uh, now, is that normal? Well, actually not when you consider the fact that the, the, the Canadian economy is not in a not yet in a normal situation, right? We might still go into a recession in 2024. Let's see where, where we go. Uh, interest rates are extremely high. Inflation is very high. And, and affordability has is, is become a, a, a real issue for, for a lot of Canadians. Um, you know, uh, when they look at just overall their expenses every month from, from rent to groceries to electricity to anything and everything. And obviously, um, also, you know, uh, what will it cost me to to uh, have a car in that in that situation. So those are all factors playing into it. So even though the market is going to be 175, it's not necessarily with the best uh, sort of economic preconditions. So with good economic preconditions being in there, I see no reason why at some point in time the market could come back to uh, the 2 million level. Uh, and let's remember here, uh, uh, Greg, that Canada is growing. We're adding hundreds of thousands of people to Canadian population every year. Uh, and those people need transportation. <laughs> so uh, that's that's a factor that I think uh, needs to be taken into account as well. So, yeah, we, we don't see a scenario. Uh, we, we actually see a scenario where, where 2 million uh, units, again, are not out of the question in a few years. You brought up affordability. Um, 
are are dealers asking for automakers to do more to make those vehicles more affordable? And I'm just anecdotally driving around, you know, southern Ontario and seeing, you know, zero percent financing, for example, is back in some cases for some vehicles. Are dealers asking for automakers to do more to help make those monthly payments more affordable to Canadians? Are they asking for more? Uh, yes, as inventories start growing back, right, uh, and the the cost of that inventory has tripled, uh, you can rest assured that our members are having those uh, strong conversations with their respective manufacturers uh, that the, the the consumer interest needs to be there in order to move those units. Let's talk about the news of probably both years. Uh, it came just before Christmas. The federal government unveiled its zero emission sales mandate meaning all new light vehicles sold by 2035 need to be zero emissions vehicles. What do you and your members think of this new initiative and how does it, how does it affect dealers in particular? Yeah. So uh, that was once again, a a nice Christmas present uh, (laughs) from our, uh, our minister of the environment, uh, Stephen Gobeau, just before Christmas, he actually dropped the the intended legislation on us a Christmas year ago, right? Almost Um, to the day. Well, pretty much exactly to the day, actually. So, and and uh, we've been engaging uh, together with the manufacturers and other parties with the government intensely over the last year. Now, uh, let me let me start with a positive. There's there's not a lot of positives, but there is one. So, it was encouraging to to see that that one of the solutions that we're we've been asking for to account for the vastly different geographical realities of Canada for which, by the way, full electric vehicles are not an option, has now been included. And by that, I mean plug-in hybrids. Plug-in hybrids with a range of at least 80 kilometers will remain eligible with full credit even after 2035. So that's an important uh, 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 change that was made or or inclusion in in the now what has been called more PAR-friendly and EV availability standard. Right? It's no longer called a mandate. It's now an EV availability standard. I guess it's supposed to help on the PR side. Now, um, so that is that is positive news. Uh, although I have to say it's limited to only 20% of the overall volume starting in 2028. So it doesn't really do enough to alleviate those situations for, you know, especially remote uh, and rural communities where plug-in hybrids would actually be probably the right technology and the right bridging technology to a zero emission future, right? So, uh, so that was the encouraging side. Uh, however, uh, we're very disappointed that the, the most important preconditions, uh, meaning an available and functioning charging instru- infrastructure, is still not receiving the necessary attention and funding. So the announced uh, incentives. Uh, that are going to be given to the OEMs for investing in charging infrastructure, it doesn't even come close to addressing what's required here. So the federal government needs to take a much, much more active leadership role in this together with the provincial governments on solving these issues. Because it's interesting that the the, the minister himself acknowledged during the, the presentation of the mandate, uh, sorry, the availability standard, uh, he said himself that 80% of Canadians expect to charge at home. Okay, great. Well, guess where most of the population lives in Canada? They live in multifamily homes and condos. And yet there are still no solutions or assistance that is being considered for those 
existing uh, solutions and individuals that need to find a, a, a way to charge their vehicles. So a lot more has to be done on that side. And now we come back full circle to where you started the question, which was the affordability side of things, right? It was very concerning, concerning to see that the only answer uh, from the federal government was to point towards a potential lower operating costs of electric vehicles over a 10-year period. Uh, while at the same time, they acknowledge that price parity with internal combustion engines will not be achieved before the end of the decade. So uh, pointing to somebody to say, yes, you now have to shell out $10,000 more up front or X hundreds of dollars more a month on your payment. Oh, but you'll make up over a 10-year period because you have lower operating costs. That's not going to fly with consumers. And this is what's, what is sorely lacking uh, and has been for, for uh, uh, quite some time in this whole approach. It is, it is starting from the fact that you can mandate something and you will mandate what can, people can buy. Well, we are more of the opinion that, that you have to look at the demand side. You have to stimulate demand. When you look at the jurisdictions around the world that have been uh, very successful in transitioning zero emissions, um, they have uh, provided a lot more support on the demand side of things, right? Um, you know, just one example. Uh, only recently this week in Europe, uh, France announced uh, a program by which they will be subsidizing leasing so that, you know, low income families can afford an EV uh, for 100 euros a month. Right. Um, not exactly sure how exactly that's going to work, but that is the approach that they're taking. Uh, Norway has taken other approaches as well. So we've always said that, you know, Canadians expect certainty that they can afford, use, and charge their EVs in a manner that suits their lifestyle and geographical requirements. If you start from the fact that, well, we will change how people have to live, uh, that we don't feel is going to be uh, necessarily that successful. So we will continue fighting on this. How does this affect the dealer? Do you expect automakers to force dealers to stock zero emissions vehicles, even if they don't think they can sell them. I just wonder what happens two years out, five years out from now. Well, we have lots of ZEVs, lots filled with them that aren't moving. How much of this is on the dealer to to buy more? I just wonder how it affects them on the showroom floor and on the dealer lot. Well, see, the thing is that the, the manufacturer will not be considered in compliance of this regulation until the vehicle is actually sold. Until it's off the lot. Yes, until it's sold to a consumer, registered. So, uh, therefore, you know, it, it can't be solved by just, you know, the manufacturer pushing the, the vehicles onto the dealer's lot and saying, okay, I've done my part. Well, guess, guess what? That's not how it's, this is going to work, right? Because you have uh, 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 hundreds of thousands of people that are looking to buy a car and fulfill their transportation needs. That's what they're in the market for. Right to fulfill whatever the transportation needs might be, um, and if they're not being fulfilled, um, you can imagine what's going to happen, right? And if if then in order to fulfill certain percentages, manufacturers are constrained then to reduce the supply of internal combustion engines just to reach those percentages. That's going to drive overall prices through the roof, uh, and not do anything for affordability. So, this is something that we've been trying to make clear to uh, all government officials. Um, some listen better than others. 
um, and uh, we will continue to to try to work with them to improve uh, the program as they as they announced it, um, as it's now going to basically become, uh, you know, law, if you will, right? Um, and obviously, we're also working with uh, all opposition parties, uh, should they come into power, to also be able to enact certain changes on on this legislation. Does this have the potential to see smaller brands, smaller volume brands, just simply stop selling vehicles in Canada? If they don't offer enough zero emissions vehicles in their portfolio, can you see certain brands just pulling up stakes and leaving? Uh, we hope it never comes to that. Um, again, Canada is, is yes, on the world stage, is, is not a large market, but it's not a small one either. So for most brands... You know, Canada is somewhere in the in the top ten or fifteen, right, of their countries. Um, now, if Canada was, you know, number fifty in the world for a certain brand, then sure, that that might be a scenario that that could play out. But there, there's no brand for which Canada is a, is a small market, right? It's a medium size to larger market. So, um, we we continue uh, to hope, uh, and not only to hope, but work intensely on this government to make them understand that precisely as these things roll out, that this mandate needs to be tied to the real world progress that is being made on public charging infrastructure, grid readiness, consumer incentives. And if if those are not in place and the percentages are not met, we need to start having some off ramps to this, right? Um, and that is what we will continue to advocate for. And interestingly enough, we're, we're um, aligned almost to 100% here with, with the manufacturers uh, that are represented in Canada. I'm going to ask you this, just short answer. Can these targets, will these targets be met? And there are several of them, obviously. The first in 2026, where it has to be 20%. Is that achievable? And then on the other end of the spectrum, is 100% by 2035 achievable? Where are we in terms of being able to meet these targets? Can they be met? So the, the 2026 is not completely out of range, okay? Um, 2030, 60% is, um, unless we get a higher consideration for plug-in hybrids um, and a, a much better functioning uh, charging infrastructure. Now, that's the federal target. Now, let's remember, Greg, we also have two provinces that have layered on top of that due to um, some unsound reasoning, quite frankly, uh, provincial higher targets. So BC is aiming for 90% in 2030 and Quebec for 85% in 2030. Uh, from our perspective, those are absolutely unachievable. I want to talk about, you brought up Quebec. They have their own version of what we're about to talk about, but let's talk about Bill C. 244, basically the Right to Repair Act, um, which proposes an amendment to the Copyright Act that would allow third parties complete access to the information and technology needed to service the more modern vehicles we're seeing on the road today. That bill is before the Senate. If it passes, what type of effect will that Right to Repair Act have on your members? So here's an interesting thing, uh, Greg, that certain parties in the industry um, have engaged in a little bit of sly of hand here, sly of hands, right? Uh, because this is this is not a right to repair act. This is an amendment to the Copyright Act, 
that is targeting not vehicles, it's targeting appliances. Okay. But they've sort of seen this as this is a right to repair bill that will affect vehicles and uh, how they're serviced. And we will finally get access to information and technology that we have been barred from getting before. That is absolute hogwash, I'm sorry to say. Um, this bill is the amendment to the Copyright Act only. It will not affect vehicles in the market. Not only that, but all of the independent workshops in Canada, okay, since 2009 have been given complete and full access to all information and technology they need to properly service any vehicle. This is through what's called CASES. This is the Canadian Automotive Service Information Standards, okay? That was voluntarily signed by all the aftermarket uh, independent providers and the manufacturers, by which a manufacturer um, uh, commits themselves to providing an independent workshop. So you're, let's say, Maida Muffler, your Canadian Tire, whoever, right? access to all the information you need to properly service a vehicle. That's been in place since 2009. So, and it actually, it works. And there have been no complaints. There's an 800 number that, by the way, CADA is not a signatory, dealers are not a signatory to that, right? It's the manufacturers with the independents. Uh, there's an 800 number that, that you know, people in independence can call if they have a complaint. There've been virtually no complaints in 2009. So there's a functioning system here. So what are they really after? And this is where I think this is the slave hand that I was referring to. Instead of being open in their communication of what they're really after, right? They're saying, no, we don't get access to the information and technology. No, you do. You, you have since 2009. What they were after is they want to be at this, on the same playing field when it comes to what parts they can buy at what prices and everything else as a dealer is, as a franchised uh, and authorized dealer is, right? Even though they might not have the investments, you've seen what car dealers invest, you know, um, according to their respective brand guidelines, what they have to invest in their workshops, how they have to train their people, uh, uh, the, the standards they have to fulfill and all of those things. Right. And yet the independence, that is what they're really after here. So it's a pure money play that is being uh, basically camouflaged, if you will, under, uh, you know, right to repair. And we don't have access to information technology. Well, if you haven't, you, we should have had thousands and thousands of complaints since 2009, right, at cases, and they're not. And by the way, this is a storyline that, that will be confirmed, uh, Greg, and you can confirm with all of the manufacturers in Canada. So, so you're saying this is, this is not about the access to the information and the technology needed to repair vehicles. This is more about the access to better pricing for the parts that are needed to repair vehicles. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Access to the pricing, uh, uh, the same to be put on the at the on the same uh, uh, playing field, right? As a franchise uh, car dealer, not from a technology and information perspective, right? But you know, when a a independent workshop has not done not even close to the types of investment and training um, and preparation, uh, etc., that uh, all of our franchise dealers do on behalf of their brands, right? And they are the ones that actually then also, you know, take care of the recalls on behalf of the brands, things like that. The other aspect that I'd like to just point out here, where it gets very, very, 
murky, if you will, and dangerous is when it comes to giving anybody access to safety and security relevant data on a vehicle, such as keys, um, emission uh, 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 software, things of that nature, right? Um, so if you start providing that to any third party that is not held accountable to the brand, right, that they represent or sell or are servicing, as our members are, right, you open the door to all sorts of things. And you've seen what has happened in Canada over the last year, year and a half when it comes to stolen vehicles. We're, we have a true crisis in Canada when it comes to stolen vehicles. And are we now going to make that easier just by providing anybody access to security relevant information on keys? I don't think that's a necessary the right approach. I don't want to end this without asking you. You, you, Cata just released a, a new economic report toward the end of last year. Tell me about that. Why was that important? What jumps out at you? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we released end of last year what's called the economic uh, impact report. That sort of highlights um, how much dealers contribute. Uh, to their communities in each and every province, um, but then also nationally. So uh, a lot of people might not necessarily understand that, and this is something we want to provide, and we provided the data not just you know uh, to the manufacturers, but to the public in, in, in general, um, to also banks, lending institutions, et cetera, that provide an overview um, of Canadian auto deals. So to give you an example, uh, Canadian dealers across Canada contributed $14.7 billion directly to Canada's GDP last year. 28, if you add the sort of indirect and induced effect of car dealers. And they contributed revenues of $2.5 billion directly uh, to the CRA. Uh, if you add the indirect and induced, it's almost $6.2 billion, right? and employ over 168,000 people directly in Canada. So uh, this is an important report and we have it broken down by, by each province so that when, when our members uh, go to speak to their local politician, be it in a province or federally, they can speak differently to said individuals by saying, listen, I'm not representing myself with, let's call it 100 to 120 employees. No, no, I represent an industry that's providing you X number of dollars into your provincial GDP or the federal GDP and providing you with X number of tax revenue. So you better listen to it. So um, it makes the conversations a bit more uh, direct. My pleasure, Tim. Always uh, great information, a ton to talk about heading into what will be another busy automotive year for Canada. Uh, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Take care. I'd like to thank Tim for being my guest. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.